my mom wanted me to ask Muggsy if you remember giving me an autograph when I was five years old, and I said I don't think so. I was like, I, th- I think I think that might have slipped his mind. Of course, I remember Welcome to Pushing Through. It is Friday, July 3rd. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong. And today, we have on one of BJ's favorite players from his era in the NBA, Mr. Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> well, hey, well, Muggs, man, I appreciate you coming on, man. We just have a little fun, man. And, man, uh, I just appreciate you guys having me on. I mean, you know, uh, anytime to chit-chat with, especially a guy like B, you know, my colleague, and and, and you two guys, is always a pleasure, man. So whatever you guys want to discuss, I'm open for whatever. Uh, and BJ just uh, just alluded to earlier, well, yesterday, I had a little uh, voters floaters campaign mm-hmm. where I had my, my point guards on. I should have had B on. If yeah, I yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I had my guy, Spud, and Isaiah Kyle Lowry, and my host was uh, Bukari Sellers. Mm. And we're just trying to get, you know, the, the, the interest in people, make sure that be aware how important voting is and make mm. sure they get to the polls, especially these young folks, understand how important it is. But with everything that's happening that's going on, we want to make sure we, you know, not only just protest, but we want to make change. Mm-hmm. And the only change that's going to probably, I mean, pretty much going to happen is by us going to the votes, going to the, uh, the polls and voting and make sure we do our, our due diligence and, and make sure we know who we're voting for. You know, because there's many times that we just go and we just click that lever, that the lever, and and it's just all one sided. We're not knowing what the principles and actually uh, goals that these guys have. So you know, we're just trying to bring awareness to it. And we talked a little b-ball, a little game. So that, that's what we had a little fun doing that yesterday. And, and Muggsy, I have to ask you. Uh, you, you talk about you know the the point guard fraternity, and obviously BJ is a point guard himself. I know BJ loves the bigs, but but it does seem like the point guards they have uh, all these guys seem like you know we talked about Rod Strickland on this program, Isaiah Thomas, all the point guards from that era in the NBA. You guys all have a rapport, and then it it goes into the new generation. You mentioned Kyle Lowry and Chris Paul and Darren Williams and all those guys. What is it about point guards that brings you guys together? Is it the vision? Is it the the way you carry yourselves as teammates? What what is it about a point guard that that, that kind of says I'm a point guard and we get along because of this? Well, you know, we are that extension of a coach. You know, mm-hmm. we the one got the ball now and 85, 90% of the time. So we pretty much directing everything that's happening on the court. And, and we see it all. You know, we see it from the beginning, the middle, as well as the end. <laughs> and uh, we kind of understand the importance of that position and how to keep everybody connected as one. Um, and that's the you know that's the beauty of being a point guard, understanding the strength and the weakness of your you know your your ball your teammates, and so you know with that understanding you know we 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 understand the importance of uh, how to keep everybody together because we got so many egos that we're dealing with, and then we want to make sure that you know because we can't approach everybody the same way, um, so we have that understanding. Uh, of what it takes to, you know, to keep a team together, to keep a team unit going forward. And uh, and that's probably why we understand, that's why we have that fraternity and we understand the importance of uh, what, how chemistry works and how, you know, important it is to, to be successful at it. You know, Monty, you, you had just a, a wonderful career and and we all have our story. 
and you know we have a story and obstacles and things we've we've had to overcome to get to play in the NBA and and have a you know not just to get there but have a career there. What was that moment for you? For many of our listeners and and viewers who don't know your backstory, when was that moment for you when you said I could do this? I know I can play in the NBA, not just play in the NBA, but I can have a career in the NBA. Was there, was it a high school? Can you just share your story with our listeners and viewers of uh, how you came to, to be this? I mean, you were just, you were unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> and the thing in your story. Well, you know, growing up in the inner city of Baltimore, that's where it all began, you know, began for me, uh, you know, playing in the streets, uh, you know, proving everybody wrong, of course, all the laughter is because of my size. And uh, of course, you know, I understood the game. You know, I was fortunate enough to, to get that information early on and understood what a point guard responsibilities are. And I didn't waver from that. You know, I knew that I was totally different from everybody else. I just played the game totally different. Um, and I wasn't trying to be like everybody else. I just knew who I was and I was able to you know, impact the game in my way. And knowing that if I played defense and I made my point guard work hard, you know, getting the ball across half court because that's where it starts. You got to get your team into the offense. Just having that understanding. And uh, and then each, you know, and then knowing that how to run a team, as we talked about earlier, how to understand the people that's around you and how to, you know, play off of those guys as well. And, and having that understanding of it, you know, allowed me to keep climbing up the ladder. And every time I took the court, you know, it was the mindset. You know, if I played against the best, if I had success against the best, I must be included with the best. And having that mindset every time stepping on the court and, you know, believing in yourself and having success, it put, you in, it put me in a good situation. I was fortunate enough to play on a great high school team with uh, the, Red, the late Reggie Lewis, uh, myself, and uh, David Wingate and, Reg, and Reggie Williams. And we was blessed to win 59 games and, all of us went on to go to college. And then, that, you know, and at the University of Wake Forest, you know, playing in the ACC, you know, it also prepared me playing against tough guards like Mark Price and the Spud Webbs and those guys. You know, it, it kind of prepared you night in and night out. You know, it was a conference where you had the Michael Jordan, the Ralph Sampson, the, Lenny, the late Lenny Bias. So it was a very talented, talented conference. And, you know, having success in that conference, you know, it felt like, you know, hey, these guys moving on to the next level, you know, why can't I? And then having the opportunity to represent our country in 86, you know, uh, being on that uh, world, uh, the world team, uh, going over there playing against, you know, prof uh, men as they call it, professionals in the European. And we was the last team, the collegiate team, that won the gold medal in 86, uh, just before the guys in 88 lost the gold medal, before they sent the dream team in 92. So having that success, and playing with those guys, you know, I felt like I was in that conversation. You know, I felt like I was right there with them. And coming 87, you know, having the opportunity to go to Portsmouth, me and Scottie Pippen, you know, your team, old team, uh, <laughs> down there. Uh, and, you know, not many folks had heard of us. And here he is, he's from Little Rock, Arkansas. And we having to team up together. And he and I had so much success together that day at camp. And from that moment on, our stock had risen. You know, I was projected to go, you know, late first, early second, and he was projected to go late first. And uh, but he wound up going number five 
of course, and then getting uh, uh, shipped over to Chicago, and I wind up going number 12. So, you know, it, it just, again, playing in those with those guys and playing against that type of level of competition, I always felt that, you know, I had the opportunity to, to go and play on that next level. I, I did not know that story, was that you and Scotty played together. Because I, I just, I remember Scotty, and I just heard, you know, the late Jerry Krause and everyone was talking about mm-hmm. how he had, his stock had risen. I didn't know you were on that team. And yeah, it was me him and a guy by the name of Ricky Winslow. Oh, I remember he went to University of Houston. Houston. He went to Houston, Houston and Jamie Wilder. Remember Jamie Wilder? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, Wilder, I do. Virginia Union. So all of, I mean, and that was a dream for me having that type of athleticism around me, you know. And then we was, I mean, again, we put on a great show. I just, you know, they're doing a documentary on Scotty now. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I just did an interview for that. I just did an interview for that. Uh, yeah, um, I just did one as well. So I kind of shared that story with him about um, about our times as Portsmouth and up. Uh, so that was a uh, that was a moment. And, and Muggsy, I have to ask you. You mentioned uh, you know you you were a small guy playing in Baltimore, and you know, like you said, there's there's people that are coming at you that are talking about your height. But then you get to the ACC and you go against a guy, Spud Webb. Who, you know, <laughs> did you get jealous at all? Or are you upset? You're like, this is my thing. I'm supposed to be the little point guard. This is what I do. Um, or was it cool to see someone at NC State that, that's in the ACC competing against you that, that's on the same level? No, it was cool. I mean, for me, you know, jealousy was another part of my, you know, my <laughs> makeup. You know, I was always the guy that was comfortable in my own skin and with my own game. And But seeing a guy like Spud, I heard of him, but didn't really actually see him because he was in the junior college. And when he got, he came over to NC State, we first got a chance to play with one another, and then we connected from day one. I mean, we supported <laughs> each other. I mean, he was before me, so when he had the opportunity to go and, and, and test the waters, you know, in the NBA, you know, we always reached out to each other, and he always told me that, you know, this is a place for me. You know, I, I can, I, I'm capable of playing in that level, and I always remember that, and that always stuck with me. And uh, you know, like I always said, that you know, my moment for me, it always stand out, like. We all little guys came into the league, and many of us didn't get drafted, per se. And uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to do it for us all. You know, I was able to get drafted, go up, and shake the commissioner hand, and that's something that I always kind of hang my head on to. Mm. You, you know, Muggsy, you were the one guy when I played in Chicago <laughs> that Scotty would not dribble around. You were <laughs> he would he would always because he Scotty was basically our point guard. None of us would dribble around Muggsy. Muggsy, how did you develop this sense? You were like a one-man press. When you really wanted to defend that ball, you just you you terrorized the opponent with your defense. How did you develop this sense of, you know, just really understanding the concept of defense and how to be a very disruptive player on that end? Well, you know, that was my mega B. You know, I knew that I was I wasn't gonna be tall. You know, my mom was only five, I mean, 4'11". My dad was 5'6". My mother, my brother, 5'7". So the tallest person in my family was 5'7". Right. So I already accepted that I wasn't going to get much taller. And uh, But just developing, you know, the skill set and, and, and learning from Mr. Howell, who taught me the game, and knowing how important defensive, uh, how defense was. And it was a guy in my neighborhood by the name of Dwayne Wood. And he was a small... Uh, uh, a diminutive player as well. And he went to Dunbar and he was successful. I believe he would have been probably one of the first small guys that made it if he would have decided to go to Georgia with Dominique 
And, uh, but he decided to go to Virginia State with his friend and they wanted to stay together. But the way he played defense, he had this way where he let you beat your guy, let your guy go in front of you, and he's able to play defense behind you. And I kind of developed that type of uh, instinct from him, learned how to play that way, both ways. So that's what gave me that aggressive understanding that you got 10 seconds to get across half court. So I could be a really aggressive playing in front of you, playing behind you, making my opponent uh, think because you know, as, as you know me, <laughs> I let you get in front of me at times and you think you got <laughs> And I'm coming behind you, chasing behind you. <laughs> you don't see if you're not actually looking behind me, and you focus just going on. I feel like I'm gonna get that ball. And if you're actually watching me, I'm also in your head as well, not letting you just go directly down the court. So I kind of just played my little way to try to, you know, impact the game as much as I possibly can to keep myself on that floor, you know, because you know a lot of disadvantage where guys would try to, they felt like they could go down there and just post you up. You know, and that was something that I always took very personal. You know, I was yeah. a strong guy. I was, you know, I was always, you know, just a guy that wanted to have that challenge that felt like I can play anybody, you know, no matter where you're on the court. And my understanding was a lot of guards didn't used to play with their back toward the basket. Right. So I had that understanding as well. Well, I, the very first time I played against <laughs> you, you did that and you, you let me go by you. And I was like, oh, okay, it's all good. <laughs> you know, I go by. And out of nowhere, <laughs> you came. <laughs> so you got me on that trick, and I'm still terrorized by that move. So that was, I, you know, I, I've never seen that before. But you would let you you would let, you would let the guards go by you, and then you would come behind them. And uh, that was a great defensive move. So I, I always tried to have you in front of me. You were the only guard, but I would never well, – I didn't want to go by him. I just wanted <laughs> you to be in front of me. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, well, he was one of them hard guards to guard, though. You know, BJ had that quick release. You know, as <laughs> soon as you come up the screen, baby, let it go. You know, <laughs> not give BJ any type of space. And that was something that was so frustrating because I like to help a lot. Right, I right. like to help out my guy. And when B come up that screen and he gets set, boy, it was like if you're a second late, you're dead. It's like, oh, stand going again, boy. That, you got that shot up. But that, I mean, it was such a joy playing against you, my brother, man. I tell you, I mean, the things that you guys are in your journey with playing with MJ and I'm watching the last dance and saying that episode, you know, I just, just showed the testament of the mental toughness that you guys had to go through and to overcome all the obstacles, the windows championships. So I always tip my head off to you guys, man, for being able to withstand, uh, you know, that type of criticism that you guys was faced with night in and night out. Quick break to get aware from our sponsor, Helix Sleep. There's nobody on the planet like you. Yes, you. So why would you buy a generic mattress built for everyone else? Helix Sleep sells personalized mattresses made right from here in America and ships straight to your door with free no-contact delivery, free returns, and a 100-night sleep trial. To choose a mattress, Helix made a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. I took the quiz, and I was matched with the Dusk Lux Helix mattress. I love Helix, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helix.com slash pushing through, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. 
Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash pushing through. That's helixsleep.com slash pushing through for up to $200 off. Back to Muggsy Bogues. Appreciate it, Buzzy. It was, it was always a joy to play against you because you, I knew you was coming. I had to get my rest the night before. <laughs> you were you were pushing the pace. You were playing pace in space before anybody knew what it was. You know, Muggsy was playing pace when everybody didn't know. They were just like, Muggsy is pushing the ball. Everybody just run back. And uh, no, it was great. And uh, it was some great years. And uh, it was a pleasure and an honor to play against you, though. It was a joy, man. I tell you, we had some great. I'm telling you, you watching the game today. You know, we was talking about the other, uh, later uh, the other day, Spud and I. I mean, just watching the guys today, man. The guards, you know, they always say they got scoring point guards. I mean, we always had scoring guards back in our day. You know, like I said, I mentioned the Mark Price, the Isaiah Thomas, the Tim Hardaways, and you know, and I people the fatty levers and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, just constantly just mention those guys, but it's. You know, it's, it's good. You know, we not haters. We love to see this the type of uh, structure that's going on today. Uh, it's exciting. You know, right. we can have, you know, we, we have a guy like seven footer coming up the court, bring the ball up. You know, we had that guy with his back towards the basket calling right. for him. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and Muggsy, I have to ask you because you and BJ's careers, uh, they're intertwined in, in some in some ways, you know, at times. And one of those times you mentioned the last dance was we saw the Space Jam summer. We saw we go to Warner <laughs> Brothers and, uh, you know, Jordan's got these scrimmages going on and he's bringing, you know, all these players in. Reggie Miller, all these guys are coming out and playing. And I know you were there, and and there was uh, BJ told a story about you know Space Jam. They were trying to find the point guard. BJ said, "I I don't know about being in a movie with Bugs Bunny. I'm I'm I don't know about that." Then you are in the movie in Space Jam. Can can you give us how that played out? Did you talk you to BJ? Set the record straight. Set, set the record straight. straight. How this set happened? Set the record straight here, Bugsy. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, when they was casting and putting everything together, you know, Michael and, and myself and David, uh, Patrick, you know, we all had the same agent with David Fall. So I guess that they was, and I was hurt. I just, at the surgery with Chicago, I had surgery. I had surgery on my knee. So um, I wasn't even expecting to even be part of that movie. But when they called me and told me, uh, you know, well, Moses, we want you to read the line anyway. So I went out there, they flew me out there. They had Tim Hardaway out there as well. And uh, so they, after I read my lines and did it, actually they had me pulling me on a dolly. And I was acting <laughs> like I was, you know, walking because I couldn't walk and I had surgery. And uh, we just had a great time. And then, you know, the pickup games, went over there and watched those guys play. It was unbelievable. But being on the set, you know, we had a lot of fun, you know, fun moments, you know, shooting the movie, being in our trailers. And I remember one morning we spoke a shot, uh, a series that morning, but LJ, he decided he wanted to get a haircut. And uh, and on set, they had a, uh, a Caucasian guy who never cut an African-American guy here before. <laughs> and L had this little, you know, this nice little cut, and this guy gave him a bowl cut. It was like oh, a, oh. a bowl on his head, and you just kind of dip the line around it. So, you know, long story short, we had the council to shoot that morning. And, boy, we had a lot of fun. Of course, they had to bring in some other folks from L.A. to get them a, 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 a touch-up to kind of straighten them up. And of course, MJ liked to play cars a lot, so we in the trailer playing cars. Oh yeah! But we had so much fun, man. I not had no idea it would turn out to be such an iconic movie like it is today. You know, it was so much fun doing that movie. 
And do do you watch that movie now, uh, Muggsy? How many times have you watched Space Jam? Did people come up to you? Do they know you from Space Jam? Because there's a lot of people that may not have watched basketball that are younger generation kids that just say, oh, that's the guy from Space Jam. I mean, kids to this day ask me, do I have my powers? (laughs) That's how crazy it is. And your reply. But I want to know your reply, though. (laughs) What what is your reply? (laughs) Did did I have my powers back? Yeah, I told me I got my powers back. I was able to restore my powers because I touched the ball. You saw me touch the ball. And you saw all the the action that took place, and it restored my powers back. I had to give them that type of ass. (laughs) The kids, man, I tell you, boy, they, they, they honest. You know, they just, whatever come off the tongue, it's, it's, the, it's the truth, and that's what you got to love. Oh, man, that's so good. And then I have to ask you again, you and BJ are, are tied together in 1998, I believe, right? Uh, BJ, you get traded to Charlotte. Muggsy, you, right. go, to, you go to Golden State. Um, and, and then th- that's sort of like, you know, a role reversal there. So did you guys know each other well enough to reach out and say, hey, because I think it was Tony Delk, right? You and Tony Delk got traded for BJ. Uh, I, mean, yeah. me, I mean, behind the scenes of that story, I could have blocked the trade. <laughs> I, I, I could have blocked the trade, B. I could have, I could have, I could have blocked. I don't it. know this story, so let me share it with yeah, you. I could have blocked the trade. I could have not went, but at the time, right after we lost, uh, right after we played um, uh, New York in the in the um, in the playoffs, and it came back that final year, so it was a lot of stuff going on that it was supposed to restructure my contract, but they decided not to uh, uh, extend my contract and. David, uh, Dave Collins was a new coach, came in, right. and they wanted to change, and they and they brought in David Wesley. So when they brought in David Wesley, it was like, okay, we'll bring in David Wesley. And I, we didn't, I didn't care you brought in David Wesley, but they didn't want me to practice, and they didn't want me to compete against David Wesley. So they kind of, <laughs> they, they, they blocked me out of, out of practice. So I had to file agreements, because they had locked me they had locked me out in practice, and, and uh, so I had to file grievance and everything. And so all of a sudden, they put me. I had to. I went to practice, and then while I'm in practice, they didn't have. They 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 tried to put me on the third team, so they put me on the third team. But then he let me practice with the team, so it was getting crazy. It was getting crazy, and then we had a preseason game against New York, and we in the Charlotte Coliseum with twenty four thousand fans in there, mm-hmm. and course they had the preseason game and this is the first time in my career in, in in Charlotte where I'm sitting on the bench and I ain't even playing so I'm just sitting on the bench they got the guys playing and then during the course of the game of course the, the fans got involved and they kept screaming you know we want Muggsy we want Muggsy <laughs> so after the game Dave Cobb said hey we cannot go through all year with this you know we are not going through this whole year with all of this chant like this so that's when we, we got to go to uh, Washington Bullets at the time. And then once we got to the Bullets, then that's when the trade happened. And then David Falk called me and said, well, Muggs, you know, you got the right to block the trade, you know, if you don't want to do it. I said, well, I'm going to ask Tony Dell, TD, what you want to do? I said, I can, it don't bother me. I can mess with them the whole time. It don't, it don't affect me. <laughs> I said, so what you said, man, shit, I, don't, I, I wanna go. I, ready. I said, well, okay, we gonna get out of here. That's when I told David, we gone. We went to Golden State and glad it, it turned out best for everybody. Right. And for me, you know, going out to Golden State, even though it wasn't the best situation, it was a great opportunity for me to kind of rejuvenate, you know, just to clear my mind. Cause a lot of things was happening, you know, in Charlotte at the time. Um, of course, B&M went to the playoff, and they wound up playing Chicago that year. 
Uh, but so it kind of worked out for the both of us. But that's behind the story what could what happened. What could have possibly happened if I decided I want to stay in Charlotte. So I did not know um, Muggsy was the reason that I got, came to Charlotte. See, there you go. <laughs> Only here on Pushing Through the Podcast. He was a GM. He, GM slash flair. Muggsy yeah. got it done. Yeah, yeah but um, I tell you, B, I've been behind the scene watching you, man, and the thing that you've been doing to represent these players uh, is, is been breathtaking because we need that. You know, we need honesty in our game, and so many guys that got burnt, you know, right. Financially, as you know, not yep. having the proper structure once the game is over. And I commend you, my brother, for doing that for those guys and giving them that platform to continue to, to be that even once the game is over with. No, I appreciate it. And, and most tell it, you know, I, I know, you know, you're there, you're living in Charlotte. Share with us what you're doing now as far as, you know, working and doing with the team, so forth and so on. What, what kind of what, it, what have you doing transitioning since your, since your playing days? Well, you know, I've been a little bit of everything. I was in real estate, kind of fade my way out of that now. Just got one properly left. Coach the um, Charlotte Sting, I remember that, yeah. I coached a little bit with the WNBA. I coached with uh, high school, did that for three years to make sure some kids get the uh, opportunity to go to college. And I, I've been working with the NBA as an ambassador, and I'm working with the Charlotte Hornets as well as an ambassador, uh, just trying to do my part in that because we stand relevant in the game. And then, of course, I have a foundation called the Muggsy Bowles Family Foundation, and we provide scholarships uh, for kids that who want to pursue their dreams um, vocationally um, because a lot of guys who work with their hands will get forgotten, and a lot of resources not out there for the plumbers, the, the roofers, and so forth. Uh, so we're just trying to uh, take some of the burden off these parents to make sure that financially they don't have to you know, worry about having to come up with them type of funds to where their kids could continue their education. So, you know, we continue to do that. And, and hopefully in, in years to come, we'll be up to about 100 scholarships annually. Beautiful. So we'll be able to, you know, provide that type of service for these kids out here that, you know, had dreams of trying to reach their, of trying to reach their potential dreams. And I would be remiss because I know if it's round, you're going to do it. <laughs> I know if it's round. How's that golf game? How's that golf game, Muggs? How's that golf game? <laughs> it's sporadic right now. And I'm trying to think. Dell you know, like Curry, Dell is that 70 consistent type of player. And uh, he just it just irks me that I can't get there yet. And I, I told him, I don't understand how you have a job calling games and still getting a hundred round of golf. It's unbelievable, right? Yeah, it's I said, that makes sense. Hi, that but, uh, you know, I'm working towards it. You know, I'm trying to lower that handicap. You know, every day I possibly can, but it's therapeutic for me. I just love being out on the course, you know, being able to just see where the ball goes, wherever it goes. You know, I, hopefully I can have some sort of sanity with myself, you know. But more times than not, I hope it can go down the fairway. But, you know, when it goes in the woods, B, you know how <laughs> <laughs> When it go in the woods, hey, you hit it. You did your part. You did your part. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, well, there you have it uh, from Dunbar to a Demon Deacon, the man that showed us it's hard over height, Muggsy Bogues. We appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate you sharing these stories, and, and we, we want to have you back anytime uh, you're around. And uh, good luck in Charlotte, the king of the Queen City. Appreciate it, Muggsy. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me.